You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Gamble. It's great to have you. It's May 20th, and I've got a great show for you this week. First of all, uh, I've got a friend visiting from out of town, and that's always really, really nice. Um, I actually started this podcast when he first left town, so he may be, and he's staying with me in the house right now, so he may be jumping in on here uh, on some of the Infernal Informant section. Or maybe just random banter as he passes by. Uh, you know, I, it is, it's one of those things where even though I have, whether it was last week with uh, Mother's Day and wanting to spend time with my wife, or this week when I have friends uh, at the house, I still want to get the podcast out. I still feel like uh, my week's not quite complete until I've done this show. Or, uh, it, depending on how you look at it, it hasn't even quite started. You know? So, anyway... I, I feel like I have to get the show out, so I gotta set aside a little bit of time, you know? And that always makes it challenging, especially when you have someone staying in your house. When is an appropriate time to sort of excuse yourself or to attempt to include them or, uh, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, today we're gonna have a Ring of Fire solar eclipse, which is pretty exciting. I mean, if you if you think about the complexity of... of uh, the eclipse. Ancient cultures would see it as uh, the Chinese saw it as a gigantic dragon battling the sun and swallowing it. Um, you know, it, it could mean omens. I mean, in our modern eras, we, you know, acknowledge it as just an astrological event. But uh, there's still something that is exciting about it. You know, it, it's. The, the the gods in the sky, in this case, literally, you know, our planet, the moon, uh, and the sun, sort of jockeying for position between each other, you know, and, and this is what's causing the eclipse, it, it's, I don't know, it's, it's still exciting, you know, I mean, even though we understand it on a scientific level, even though we can, we can break down when it's going to happen to the exact minute at its peak, uh, it's, it's still something that, you know, it draws us out in droves, and we all look to the sky wearing our special glasses, or we look down at boxes uh, meant to capture the shapes so that we can see it. And it's something that sort of pulls you out of whatever modern uh, entrapment you are engaged in, and you sort of go back to this primal place. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're literally stuck on this rock floating, uh, being pulled around this gigantic uh, sun, uh, this gigantic star, it's, it's amazing, you know, I mean, it's, it's an amazing feeling uh, that these things literally are the craters of the elements which allow life to be, um, they pull us along in their life cycles, we are children of them. 
and they capture our imagination, our attention, and our awe whenever they want to. You know, I mean, we may get used to it rising and setting, uh, but <laughs> all it's got to do is a little eclipse, you know, a little jockeying of position, and suddenly uh, we're amazed again. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's exciting. And uh, tonight, if you have the opportunity, check it out. Uh, there's supposed to be a lot of um, broadcasts for it online as well, so you can check that out. Um, I do have a great show for you today in The Devil's Advocate. I'm going to be talking about keeping busy, not keeping busy. It's an article in Satan Speaks by Anton Xander LeVay. Uh, a little bit interesting. Uh, I'm going to give you kind of my take on it. In the Infernal Informant, I have man who had 30 kids with 11 women wants child support break. Now, this is... Um, this is going to be an interesting article, and I'm hoping to get some feedback on this one. This was posted by uh, Storm from Art on You Studios online. I saw it. I had to snag it for uh, nine cents. I, it's going to be an interesting discussion, I think, or at least rant. <laughs> and also, the missing issue in the presidential campaign. This is a Washington Post article I'm going to be going over. In the Creature Feature, I'm going to be talking about The Legend of Korra. Now, I didn't... Since I was a kid, I haven't really been into cartoons at all. Um, just, you know, primarily women and life have gotten in the way <laughs> of me enjoying any cartoons. But uh, since I had kids, I've been drawn back into the world of cartoons. And there are very few that I would consider worthwhile. Meaning, you're willing to sacrifice some of your life in order to just watch it. Uh, some of the time that you have in your life. Uh, and uh, Legend of Korra is one of them. So I'm going to go over that briefly. And in Bizarre Bizarre, I'm going to be talking about uh, belly buttons. So, <laughs> and I'm going to go over it. Uh, so stick around. Enjoy the show. Nine Cents starts now. You say why? Why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul, and it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Okay, so the article I want to cover today is called Keeping Busy, Not Keeping Busy. And Andon LeVay wrote this. It was included in the compilation Satan Speaks, which is actually an, a really fantastic book. I've, I've referenced an article from here before, so you should go out and pick up a copy. Satan Speaks, it's well worth it. In this, I'm going to go over the first little brief um, paragraph, and I'm going to sort of talk about the article uh, 
in, in its uh, spirit, if you will. Okay, so most people have developed the practice of indolence into a fine art. It is the closest they will ever come to perfecting a skill. As society increasingly encourages and rewards underachievers, incompetence becomes pragmatic. The uses of ineptitude are many, and sure to make life simpler, with less effort than a display of attitude. I would like to think that Anton LaVey writes this article with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek. I'm not entirely sure that that's an accurate statement. The reason why is because the article speaks to the idea of you no longer have to try when you can buy professionalism or skill. Uh, let's talk specifically to my, um, uh, my career choice. I'm a graphic designer. And what you find a lot is people just buying desktop publishing software like InDesign, for example, or Photoshop, and never going to someone who is qualified or trained in photo manipulation or page layout when they can just do it themselves. And, and what you end up with is a far, or a far inferior product, but they're doing it in a less expensive way, and so they make that justification. Uh, this idea that I'm speaking to here parallels in some of the discussions I've had with other people. Um, one that stands out in my mind is uh, Reverend Brian Moore. He uh, owns and operates Arkham Studios. He's an amazing sculptor, fantastic artist, and he does everything that he does with his hands. He creates everything with his hands. There's no digital anything involved. Now, that's a real artist. And that's not to shout down anyone who does anything with any digital tools isn't, but it does mean that those without talent are capable of producing work of talent. It's, it's a sad state of our human existence when you no longer have to worry about training, about uh, skill, and suddenly everyone can just purchase it. Now, it's a reality that we have to face, and we may long or yearn for a time when that wasn't the case. But I don't see that time coming back anytime soon. Um, a lot of people write books and self-publish. They never go through the process of being um, siphoned through an editor. They never um, you know, get uh, industry accolades because they're not of value. But because we can do it, and we can do it so easily. Um, you know, we just have a lot of crap out there. Uh, Anton LaVey in this article speaks specifically to using that. And it, it's a very lesser magic-centric idea in that if you are no longer paid for what you do, but you're paid for what you know or purported to know, use that. And make other people do it for you, like a like a grand symphony, with you just sitting down, waving your hands, and everyone just dances around you, producing value for you. As far as industry is concerned, this is where it becomes concerning for me. You know, like actually, I'm I'm really concerned about how we're going to evolve 
in the future. How are my kids, for example, are going to be able to make a living? Is college relevant anymore? You know, it, it's sort of that, that genuine notion that if, if even language is altering so much and you're allowed to turn in your school essays with, with text-isms rather than actual taking time and, and learning how to write properly with grammar and punctuation and actual words. I mean, I don't consider LOL a word. If we, they don't even have to worry about that, then what is really going to be the the scenery or the landscape of job interviewing in the future? Do we even have to worry about reading anymore? Do we even have to worry about writing anymore? Indolence is truly becoming the watchword, and it may not be for the definition, but it may be because that's how we human beings see a valuable future. Doing nothing. Uh, anyway, a little bit depressing in my opinion. Read the article. Anton LaVey does an amazing job of uh, vocalizing it, and he gives a really great spin uh you know, a perspective on it. You know, you cannot, you cannot one up LeVay, <laughs> and I'm not trying to here. So, <laughs> go to the source. Satan speaks. Check the article out. Let's move on to Infernal Informant. I'm here uh, with Sam, who has sworn not to say anything. I'm a... No. <laughs> hey, he said something. I don't like to talk. <clears throat> yeah, it's... It's a height thing, it's a... <laughs> I'm ashamed. <laughs> Alright, so we have a couple good articles, we're going to dive right in here, um, for the sake of everyone else, not having to hear us bitch. Alright, so this is, uh, th- again, this is an article that was shared with me by uh, a friend online. Thank you very much for it. Los Angeles Times, man who had 30 kids with 11 women wants child support break. Aw, he's being picked on. What do you think of that? This is by Renee Lynch, May 18th. Okay, so you have to say this much for Desmond Hatchett. He has a way with the ladies. The 33-year-old Knoxville, Tennessee resident has reportedly set a Knox County record for his ability to reproduce. He has 30 children with 11 women. Nine of those children were born in the last three years. After Hatchet, who is something of a local celebrity, vowed, I'm done, in a 09 TV interview, saying he wouldn't father more children. Oh, really? But Hatchet, you know there's ways to like make sure, rather than just going on TV and saying, I'm done, you could actually do something that uh, I've done and you're being pressured to do. I can't believe women are still sleeping with him. <laughs> right? Like, 11 women. He has so many. But I assume that's not part of, like, the, hey, how's it going, baby? I've got, like, 23 kids. I'm looking for 30. Local, <laughs> like that's local celebrity. The women are probably stupid. They're sleeping with him. <laughs> like, look at my beard, baby. It's like, not, it's like I don't even, it's like a naked swoosh on my chin. Uh, it looks like mine, so you kind of make it fun of me. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Hatchet is back in the news this week because he's struggling to make ends meet on his minimum wage job. <gasps> you mean, okay, so... And women still date him? 
We have covered that he is not getting the ladies for the amount of kids that he has, and he's not getting the ladies because of his pay. So, is his swagger? I think it's his uh, local celebrity. But we're also losing the, the fact that we don't know what these women are like. So, he may be a seven in his realm, or a whatever, but uh, maybe they're threes. You know what I mean? So, they're just like, oh my goodness. Oh, Desmond, you slide devil, you. Mm. Are there pictures? No. <laughs> okay, so, uh, quote, yes, we've got several cases with Mr. Hatchett, and quote, Melissa Gibson, an assistant supervisor with the Knox County Child Support Clerk Office, said with a sigh. Hatchett's attorney, Keith Pope, nice, did not return phone calls seeking comment. Um, okay, so his inability to make child support payments on such a meager salary also means he's back in court again and again, most recently to ask for a break on those payments. Uh, this is, actually isn't very long. Let me get to the end of this if we can, and then I'll sort of kind of go off on this. <laughs> Had his attorney, Keith Pope, did not return phone calls or seeking comment. Under the law, there's nothing officials can do to force Hatchet to keep his pants on. Okay, but... I, I know I said I was going to get through this, but there there is nothing that we can do to keep his pants on, but there is something we can do to stop the gun from firing rounds. You know what I mean? Like, like we can put a safety on this thing. Like, condoms suck, though. <laughs> what? Condoms suck. Right, okay, but even the condom, what about uh, snipping those uh, little uh, tubes, you know, in the sackage? And then you can't have any more kids. <laughs> exactly, that's... So, like, why don't we do a forced vasectomy? Like, is that outside of the... I, would, would the AC, okay, the ACLU probably would jump down on that, like, hardcore. <laughs> but at what point does personal freedom... And, and isn't that the definition of... Okay, personal freedom is personal. Once it starts becoming a burden on society, it is no longer personal, therefore you, never, you no longer have that personal freedom, that, that freedom of choice that you once did. Uh, like the Octomom, for example... This dude is putting a burden on the greater of society in uh, Tennessee, specifically here. And the state, in, in doing these ridiculous court cases, uh, everyone's time and money involved. And then this dude isn't doing anything to improve his station. He's literally working a, a dead-end, minimum-wage job, uh, trying to support 30 kids, really? And and is he trying to support them? I mean, how realistically can you be taking that if you continue having children? I, I feel like, uh, you know, there, there comes a time when it's no longer your choice. Like, you don't get an option anymore. Like, I mean, do you think that would be a fair thing to say? To say it, but I don't think they can actually legally snip him. You don't think they could? No, and I'm more concerned with who are these women and why are they still sleeping with him. There, there was forced sterilization with Native American women in the 70s. 70s. Right. Not now. <laughs> I'm just saying, if we could do it then... <laughs> the women need to take responsibility as well. You're absolutely right. They should not be Are they them. working? Like, we don't know anything about that. It's always the guy's burden. Maybe they're homeless women. Oh, shit. Nice. Give them a cheeseburger. See? And that's even more of a burden on society, because where are those homeless women living? Shelters. Who's finding the shelters? Society. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got big problems here. All right, so... um uh, Gibson said Hatches believed to hold Knox County record for most children. He's hold a, a similar record in most counties in the U.S., which might explain why news of this predicament was pinging around the internet on Friday. Gibson said he couldn't say whether any of his children received public assistance. <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> I 
I would be. I could barely keep track of my three kids, let alone thirty. So the youngest is a toddler. The oldest is fourteen. Holy crap! Thirty children between <laughs> two and fourteen. That's amazing. Uh, asked in a TV interview whether he can keep up with it all, Hatchet said he knows all their names, ages, and birth dates. Bullshit. Um, well, what if uh, what if they're all Mohammed? <laughs> I don't even know my kids' birthdays. No way. <laughs> also in a TV interview, Hatchet tried to explain, in a PG-rated way, how he managed to end up with so many kids. I had... <laughs> hold on, I'm gonna... I had four kids in the same year. Twice. Yo. He didn't say yo, I did. And he probably doesn't sound like that either, but... <laughs> four kids right in the same year. When Hatchet is working, he is required to turn over 50% of his wages for child support. When he's working. Um, the maximum allowed under law. Child support payments are based in part on the ages and needs of children. So you can't pay any more? Right. Well, I mean, that's the most that they can physically take. So he can keep having kids then? Yeah, well, absolutely. Financially, it won't be any more burden on him. <clears throat> right. Right. Wow. It's a responsible way to look at it. I like that. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm thinking about him. Why well, stop at 30 when you could just keep... All right, so some of the mothers of Hatch's children get only $1.49 a month, reported WREG in Memphis. That's a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good amount they're getting there. That's, that's like a Big Mac. It's obviously worth it for them. They've got 30 kids. He's a local celebrity. They're doing this knowing they're only going to get $1.30 per month. Either he's that good in the sack or they're that dumb. Well, I, I would venture to guess they are all that dumb or else he wouldn't be making minimum wage. Having 30 kids. I think any education... Okay, if you go to any any society with residents who who don't want to just scrape by living, who actually have desire and, and talent, that you will not end up with a society solely based in minimum wage. You will, you know, you will be a first world nation. So... And, and and that's not to say that there's there's anything wrong with doing bare minimum wage. I've I've been there. Everyone's been there. You have to start somewhere, but it's it's the ambition that you have and the drive that you have that takes you to that next level. Um, that this dude is obviously missing. Uh, and that's also not to say that there aren't roles for people like this. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and I'm gonna. <laughs> What, this guy is, uh, I mean, someone's got to give us our fucking Popeye's chicken. <laughs> I was thinking he could be a porn star. You the chicken. <laughs> no, the porn star would make him wear a friggin' raincoat. Yeah, <laughs> There's at least no he way. could do what he's good at. Get yeah. paid for it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's not even good. What if that's like the worst part of all this? I'll make you a bet. Mark this story for follow-up. Okay. I bet in six months, he's either got a reality TV show or he's making more money than both of us put together because of his local celebrity. How if he can market himself, shitty is our this, world? He can turn this into an opportunity if he can market himself. Yeah, I mean he's already getting articles um, about him. Right, right. Well, I think all of these local, are syndicated, um, <clears throat> and that, that's kind of easy to say. Local celebrity. I think. I think what we're going to end up seeing is is nothing about this guy. This is my prediction. Reality show. We're never going to hear from this dude again. He's going to continue living his shitty life. He's probably going to end up incarcerated because he's going to freak out on one of his thirty children or one of his eleven baby mamas. And, uh, yeah, that's where we're going to see him, is in, in prison, getting gang-raped himself. Eh, shit happens. <laughs> Alright, well, anyway. I'm going to call him and help, help him publicize himself. <laughs> Make a little money off this. 
If you can get onto that, man, I, I think I've seen. The I Dallas think there would be some dregs that would love it. There's people that would watch his reality show, guaranteed. Man. Stupid. Do you watch reality TV ever? The stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life is on TV right now. This just falls in the know. same category. Yeah, I I would pay to see what kind of women sleep in. Okay, I, I think I would be interested to see what an episode to see who the eleven one, girls how are. Does he but wouldn't it be just like a Tyler Perry show? Like, wait, at, at what point are you just like? <laughs> okay, let let's say these eleven women who are willing to collectively have thirty children from the same dude, presumably the same dude, and more. We're presuming that it's only thirty, and they don't have more from anyone else. So, if this is all one big Mormon commune, <laughs> well, then it'd be no big deal, right? You live on Eagle Mountain. <laughs> or this is all a big uh, PR campaign and you should have clicked an ad to help feed his kids. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm getting a drink while you start talking. All right. This, this is the next article. We'll, we'll end it there. Here, okay, well, this is what I think we should be doing is, is force castrating. If you become more of a burden on society and you are taking away more than you're putting in, or if there's never sort of that equilibrium moment, which we can we can easily do economically uh, and arguably socially, uh, then the state should be able to impose verdict for the sake of the rest of the residents. So uh, in this case, uh, get those kids in some foster care if the mothers are not capable without his support in raising them. Um, and if they are, then fine, let, let them raise their children. Uh, and castrate this motherfucker because all he's doing is adding burden an unnecessary burden onto society and what is he really doing if he is incapable of raising these children of financially supporting these children that's not to say that they won't be able to succeed greater than he has in life but the odds are stacked heavily against them one they're black two they don't have a devote father figure and three they are not financially Stable and all the three of those historically now you know take away you know any prejudice to racism historically is not a good combination so, so you know one out of those thirty may become the next Barack Hussein Obama no that's not gonna happen. <laughs> but or Mohammed Hussein <laughs> but you know realistically statistically they're they're all screwed and everyone that lives in their neighborhoods everyone that lives with them or, or that they're going to be bumming from or that they're going to be having 30 children with themselves because that's what dad does they've been taught then they're all going to be suffering and it's just going to be this endless perpetuating cycle when we could just stop it all by snipping a little testy yeah, but what's the difference between one guy having 30 kids and he's snipping one retard or 30 retards having one kid you maybe a paternal test Huh. You can't have a kid until you have a test. Uh, that would be good. We do that with licenses. I'm just asking. I'm just throwing out there because there's no distinction between the line. Once you cross that line, yeah, where does it end? Okay, so I, I mean, I here's what I don't want, and 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 this is where it becomes like this dangerous nanny state scenario. But I believe that there's an arguable arguable difference. Let's not make everyone take a test to have children, even though I think in the long run it would benefit. Yeah, this is going to be our timer. Well, I was going to say something. The horrible, goopy timer. I wanna... <laughs> no, I was going to say about that. I was going to say something really bad. But you have people that listen to this. Yeah. I want to be. <laughs> I hope I do. Well, um, they, they can't see that I'm not white, so what I was going to say. <laughs> they know really now. <laughs> okay, so, but uh, there's an arguable level saying, okay, well, if you're having, if, if, if you are at that maximum of 50%, of your earnings are being um, taken, and those children are only getting 
uh, 2% of that, because there's so many of them, well, then we have to step in. Like, we just have to. We have to stop the madness. Uh, that doesn't mean we have to have a nanny state where everyone has to take a test, but it does mean that we as a society have to collectively take responsibility for the weak links in the chain and fix them. And this guy is more of a weak link than anything, and we need to fix him. I have an idea. Condo company steps in, sponsors him, and then oh. shows that he stops having children and pays him. Nice. Nice. Hey, free market in action. All right. I like the way you think. Hi, this is Washington Post Politics, uh, the missing issue in the presidential campaign. Uh, let's see here. Associated Press by Dan Balls. <laughs> I am a kid at heart. <laughs> May 19. Big issues are on the table as President Obama and Republican Mitt Romney begin the general election campaign. Jobs and the economy, the future of health care, taxes, spending, the size and scope of government. What's missing is any serious discussion of the questions that overrides all others. Can Washington govern? The symbol of the breakdown is the ongoing stalemate over the economy and the country's fiscal problems. The next showdown could come during a lame duck session after the November elections when the George W. Bush tax cuts are due to expire again and the big across-the-board spending cuts agreed to last year after multiple breakdowns and negotiations are scheduled to take effect. Or... That showdown could be delayed by a series of maneuvers designed once again to buy time and save face, just like we did last time. Another game of chicken over the debt ceiling probably won't take place until sometime early next year, but House Speaker John A. Crimea River Boehner set off alarms last week by hinting at another round of brinksmanship. This week's group of eight meetings underscore the consequences of government's failures to deal effectively with the economic problems in ways that can gain public support. Still, at the start of the general election campaign, there appears to be a disconnect between what everyone knows is coming after the election, (laughs) and I think we know what's coming, and what is being done to uh, bring about a better outcome. Each party looks to the elections as a moment when voters will repudiate the other side and provide a mandate to the winner to implement its agenda. Three wave elections in a row, two won by the Democrats and the third by the Republicans, should be enough to show the limitations of the all-or-nothing thinking. How will the two candidates use the election to build support for real solutions? Romney raised the debt issue as he campaigned around the country last week, appearing with the debt clock ticking away in the background. Hot metaphors marked an appearance in Iowa as he talked about a prairie fire of debt and pledged to lead the country out of that spending and debt inferno. Romney is preaching to the choir and the Republican base. Congressional Republicans, prodded by Tea Party freshmen in the House, have taken an unyielding no-tax position in deficit negotiations, and Romney has followed their lead. The former Massachusetts governor also has said he will not consider raising taxes to deal with the deficit. In fact, he would cut them dramatically, which historically makes perfect sense if you don't know math. On these issues, his party has defined him more than he has defined his party. Though he often talks about how he worked with Democrats in the Massachusetts legislature, there is nothing in Romney's campaign platform to suggest that as president, he would try challenging the hardliners of his party. Given some of the problems he's had with his very conservative voters during the primaries, it's not surprising that he's sticking to the party line. Romney has embraced the budget blueprint put forward by House Budget Committee Chairman Paul Ryan, a plan that has yet to win any real popular support because of its absurdity in (laughs) cuts, meals on wheels being one of them. 
He is on record opposing a purely hypothetical budget deal that was raised by Fox News anchor Brett Bayer in a GOP debate last year, whose terms would call for $10 in spending cuts for every dollar in new revenue. We're turning the page. And we have an ad. Oh, here we go. In the terms of dealing with the deficit, Obama has public opinion on his side, at least broadly. But he faces questions about the (laughs) depth of his leadership. Every group of note that has studied the issues of deficits, spendings, and entitlements, most prominently the report by the commission headed by former Republican Senator Alan Simpson and former Clinton White House Chief of Staff, uh, Eric (laughs) Eric Skinbowles, had uh, concluded this solution must include significant spending cuts and some new revenue. The public agrees. Obama also favors higher taxes on the wealthiest American, uh, another position that employs significant popular support, even if it falls far short of solving the country's long-term fiscal problem. This kind of bothers me because they're already talking about a higher tax rate for the wealthiest Americans, but we're still never talking about being as high as it was under... um, um, who is the Republican pinup? Reagan. That's it. Oh, Never crazy. as high as Reagan. So they say stuff like, "Oh, Obama wants higher taxes." No, he just wants it to be back at where it was when we were successful as a country. And that's like the real absurdity of everything. You take a side and say, "Oh, he wants higher taxes," and the hyperbole flows out in droves. But the reality is, it's not. And it's nothing near that. And no one says that you have to be successful, meaning you have to pay higher taxes. No. And no one's even saying pay your fair share, because I don't think that's, I mean, that's such a, that's such a sliding scope, you know, like, like scale. There's no way to really say what's fair or not. It's too subjective. But what you can say is, when were we most secure as a nation, economically, and what was the rate then? And let's just go under that. And that's all he's asking him to do. And I don't think that's insane. I don't think that's horrible. I don't think that's socialism, as everyone's saying. And, and that's like saying their pinup model is a socialist, and there's nothing socialist about uh, Reagan. Are you opposed <clears> to <throat> flat tax? No, I'm not. As long as it's uh, one that makes sense. I don't think the 999 one that Herman Cain was putting out made a lot of sense. But but I do think that there should absolutely be a flat tax. and. And, and to sort of qualify that, I, I think for it to make sense, it would have to be a flat federal tax and then let the states, you know, make up whatever they think is going to be best for their populace. Um, but I think it, with that, that would be a perfect solution and, and everyone should be happy with that. But right now, and, and that's also, you know, we have to have that qualifier of, well, it's not really the tax rate that everyone's bitching about. It's the, the, the lack of loopholes for everyone except for the wealthiest. Quality of the tax laws. Yeah, so that's the that's the genuine crux of the issue. It's it's not the rate that we're paying. Okay, well let's let's finish this really quick and then we can talk about. It. Obama has argued that he has uh, prepared to make a deal with Boehner that would have included new revenue, spending cuts, and some entitlement reforms that would have caused heartburn in his base. The president believes that he could have won support from congressional Democrats for the changes he was negotiating. That remains hypothetical. Uh, Obama never had to put it to the test and is doing little in the election to prepare for that possibility. Last year's negotiations have been played and replayed in a series of articles and books that have attempted to sort out who bears the blame for the breakdown. Longtime congressional scholars Thomas Mann of the Brookings Institution and Norman Ornstein of the American Enterprise Institute put the fault squarely on the Republicans in their new book, It's Even Worse Than It Looks. Uh, They've taken considerable heat for their conclusion. I I, I genuinely think that's 
a complete accurate thing. I, I, and I'm not coming into that from a democratic base. I'm coming into it from an, an independent who watched the Tea Party ruin the political process that has worked. I, okay, and that's also sort of tongue-in-cheek worked um, for so long. The Tea Party really fucked up all negotiations last year and and caused more pain than they have ever done any good. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do think it's Republicans because Republicans bowed to the Tea Party uh, just like Obama has bowed to the Republicans. So it's everyone's fault. Even those lame-ass Democrats who have apparently no balls at all to stand their ground on their convictions and, you know, the, the, the base that elected them into office. Unbelievable. Okay, so the president and the White House officials are also eager to say the stalemate is the Republican responsibility, responsibility, but they are mindful of last summer's breakdown, damage the president as well as GOP. A fundamental part of Obama's message four years ago was the claim that he would change the way Washington works, an aspiration he was unable to meet. Uh, he is... He may not be the principal cause of the stalemate, but voters may wonder whether he has a solution. And honestly, in this climate, I don't think there is a solution. I think we're just going to have to kind of fight through it. What do you wait till it breaks down and falls apart? Yeah, yeah. And in case, fight to build it back up. Um, they expect leaders to lead. Though he was in a serious negotiations with Boehner a year ago, Obama has drawn criticism for failing to offer more forceful leadership. He established the Simpson-Bowles Commission, but declined opportunities at key moments to push and prod for its consideration and enactment. Obama also knows that the key to his re-election rests on the ability to pub- build public confidence in his leadership on the economy and to discredit Romney on that issue. He also needs a series of monthly job reports that look better than the last two. Senator Mark R. Warner has been in the thick of the battle over the debt and deficits as a member of the Gang of Six that produced a bipartisan plan for its own in the midst of the final rounds of negotiation between Obama and Boehner last summer. With others, he is continuing to try to build support when the next opportunity arises. Warner called the 2010 election an all-anger referendum on Washington. Looking ahead in November, he said, this has got to be a fix-it election. He sees the political system and the institutions of his government still stacked against those who seek compromise. But something must be done to change the equation, he said. For those of us who have been hired in elective leadership, he told me on Friday, this is our moment. We're going to have to have as the showdown. Will the president campaign do anything to advance solutions to these problems or merely result in a five... I'm sorry, in a finger pointing, and the deepening of divisions that have prevented Congress and the, this president from dealing with the problem? That's the question for both president and presumptive Republican nominee. All right, Sam, so can that Washington... That's a lot of words. Yeah, <laughs> one or two. Uh, can Washington govern? Like, yeah. do you think... Okay, let's say that... Um, Okay, so you, you told me off mic here that you wanted you were sort of in the Ron Paul camp. If you had to pick a horse during that um, Republican showdown that was going on, Ron Paul was your horse. Yeah. Okay, so what if what if he took the reins? Let's you know this is all speculative here. And uh, do you think that the House and Senate would be able to work with the Ron Paul administration? No. So it doesn't matter. Well, maybe. You think they would? To a certain extent, but not any more than Obama. I mean, I don't think anything's going to change, personally, until it gets to a point where it falls apart yeah. and then rebuild it all. And we, and we do have groups trying to do that. We uh, Tea Party 
they came in, and, and even Republicans, when, they, when Obama first took office, said straight up, we will do what we have to to make sure Obama fails. So rather than trying to come up with compromises or solutions, they just want to do things to make sure that whatever he says, whether they like it or not, and this has been proven by him backing their own suggestions and then them declining them um, for uh, health care uh, solutions. Well, must not have worked because he's going to get reelected. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that because it's it's so transparent, like, like that's why I think he's going to get end up getting reelected. That and Romney's um, <laughs> entire voting. success in business is literally based on dismantling companies. So, <laughs> so business wise, that's great for actually running a government. What is he going to dismantle the country? If he can come and dismantle the government, maybe it'll be okay. <laughs> Uh, in theory, I think a lot of that um, is, is nice sounding. I, I have a problem believing that that the simple deconstruction of of institutions is going to solve any issues. Well, the bloating and corruption. There's it's there's way too much. We so have too much government. Do you think that with less government uh, and in that bag less is regulation? I fully support right, state. But, okay, so but if you're talking about nation and, and international corporations, which are really the cause of, of, in my opinion, all of the woes of our federal government, uh, with without a federal government strong enough to, in any form, deal with that, how do you think we would end up as a country? Because if we can agree that big corporation is the problem... But what they're putting in place for big corporations isn't helping, like... Uh Sarbanes-Oxley. There's been how many IPOs since Sarbanes-Oxley went into place? They're making things more and more difficult for companies like... I work for a very large company to do business in the United States. They're going offshore because they can't do business here because they're making it so difficult. So, I mean, there definitely needs to be regulations in place when they're so difficult that they cannot put money back in the economy. They'll just go offshore. I mean, I, right now, send so much business overseas that it's disgusting. makes me think, why are we doing this? We should keep the money here. But it's too expensive and too much of a pain in the ass to do business here. Too many stupid rules. And uh, and then we also have to keep in mind that we elect the government thinking that it's going to operate in the best interest of those that are, you know, stateside, the, the, those of us that are in the United States. But we don't, we don't operate in a world like that. We operate in a, well, to be literal, we operate in a world government scenario. So we... And this is sort of the thing that I think people tend to forget. When you have a government focused on uh, doing business outside of our country, and you have and, and saving face and, and interjecting themselves into other nations' uh, business and industry, and you have corporations that are funding said government uh, through their officials and through bribes and through um, law. Then and who are also doing business in a world setting, not in a nation setting. Well, it's no wonder why we have no focus on a country and building up the country. We're everything we're doing as a nation and as business is world based, not nation based. You a one world government fan? Um, no, not really. But I do think that, and I think I think the recent um, monetary collapse of the euro is is proof that that would never actually work. Uh, but we are in a one-world economy. And if our entire country, which is based solely around capitalism, which is an economy-based financial institution, then, uh, you know, it, we are really doomed to fail. 
because as a country, we will never be able to succeed. And we will be successful as a nation of outsourcers, which we actually are. We're badass awesome at it, but it doesn't help any of us who are struggling. I mean, to be honest, I'm not really struggling right now, but for those of my people I know that are, it doesn't help them. Well, the ones that are, I had a great conversation last week with the, the neighbor I was telling you about. Yeah. We were talking about higher tax rates for the rich, and he was vehemently against it. No, we should not tax the rich because they're the ones that pay my salary. They're the one. He's living off the government right now. I just thought that was <laughs> an interesting perspective that he had. He's very, I, mean, I live in a very red state, yeah. as, as do you. Yeah. Um, but that one's even more red. <laughs> and he was just like, no, 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 because then they won't spend any money and I can't get a job. And no, they shouldn't pay anything. I'm like, what? It's just the weirdest conversation I've ever had. I love how people. Think I mean, I get where he's coming from. I, I see his logic, but it's flawed. Deeply. Yeah, and and it's spoon-fed logic. It, it's it's that logic. It's it's the same logic you find in religion. Well, don't worry. There's a greater man who's there to take care of you. So when you mess up, you just uh, go back to the man and, and beg forgiveness. That man being God in the religion scenario, um, and that's the same thing that they're taught uh, <laughs> through through. Uh, um, through politics, is that you have a friend in, in, in the Republican Party, this this big man who, who will love you and take care of you. Big business. They are there for you. And if you just toe the line and you don't upset anything and you make sure that we maintain those low tax rates, then we're going to eventually pay you more, even though we're at the lowest tax rates for any corporation in 35, 40 years, and we still are actually in a horrible situation economically. So let's ignore facts, and just like they do with religion, ignore facts and just focus on what feels good and what sounds great. Because really, that's all people want. You know, we just want to feel good. I feel pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you said you're doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. Let's buy grease. We probably could. I mean, literally, we could. But then I don't want a bunch of sweaty Grecians. <laughs> we could just. You know, go out there, burn it down, and rebuild. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have people who listen to me from Greece. Uh, I have no problem with you, just your economy. <laughs> All right, well, that's the article. Thank you for listening. This is a, a very special um, uh, Infernal Informant. Uh, thank you, Sam, for joining me on this. I trutruly appreciate it. I uh, shouldn't have said anything. I apologize to all your listeners. <laughs> I usually keep my mouth shut. All right, guys. We'll see you in um, Creature Feature next. My name is Kevin I. Slaughter of Underworld Amusements. On Walpurgisnacht five years ago, I announced the release of The Satanic Scriptures by Peter H. Gilmore, a book I'm sure RFS listeners are familiar with. I'm announcing today Las Escritoras Satanicas, the Spanish-language edition of that same book. You may know the English version came out in a signed and numbered slipcase and a dust-jacketed hardback edition before the paperback was released. The numbered slipcase edition was sold out within a day of the announcement, and if you weren't able to get one, you may also know that they now both sell for hundreds of dollars on the secondary market. I'm using Kickstarter to allow for pre-orders, and will limit the numbered edition to however many people want to order one between Valpurgisnacht and June 9th. If you'd like a hardback or paperback, those will be available as well. Go to lasescritorissatanicus.com or find the book on Facebook or Twitter for more information.
venture down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle, where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz, only available on Radio Free Satan. are different than cats and hey what if jack nicholson were hey what if we are the world was sung by the cast of friends i think it might go something like this hi everyone i'm jay leno anyone remember when i was funny eat doritos ladies and gentlemen dane cook are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. I'm Matt, host of Deep Six Radio. And I am in Russ. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails... And MP3s... To us at... Deep Six... At RadioFreeSatan.com Include a bio... And anything you want mentioning on air... We are open to any genre... Apart from rap... Deep Six also includes a fine selection of alternative rock... As well as multiple other genres... So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep Six Radio... Deep Six is available on... RadioFreeSatan.com And also iTunes... A week later, we, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining us. End of the line. Oh, God. No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function? For well over seven minutes, we got six more minutes to play. (coughs) Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Alright, let's talk a little bit about The Legend of Korra. So this is a cartoon on Nickelodeon. It is actually on every Saturday or something like that. And if you've ever heard of Avatar The Last Airbender, this is a series made by the same people like 80 years after that. And it literally picks up with the next Avatar. And this isn't going to make any sense to you if you had never watched Avatar The Last Airbender, but I highly suggest you watch it if you haven't. If you have kids, they're going to love it. It's entertaining enough for adults. It's funny. It's witty. 
And in a cartoon, that's rare. Plus, the art is, you know, pretty badass. I mean, for as far as cartoons go, it's really great animation. Uh, okay, so about the Legend of Korra here, and this is from their website. Republic City is everything that Avatar Aang the Fire, and Fire Lord Zuko fought for when they ended the Hundred Year War. With balance restored to the four nations, benders and non-benders can live together in peace in this thriving metropolitan area. But even the steampunk paradise of Republic City has its problems, as the next Avatar discovers. When Avatar Korra arrives to Republic City to master her airbending, she comes face to face with criminal bending gangs, as well as members of a vocal anti-bending revolution. Before long, Korra's avatar skills are put to the test when she encounters a group of chi blockers, led by the charismatic and mysterious Amon, who threatens the city and all the benders in it. Despite the immense danger, Korra vows to fight the growing anti-bending revolution, but will she be able to stop Amon before he rises to power and makes his final vision of a bending free world a reality okay like i said if you don't watch these cartoons then that's going to be a little worthless to you uh but let me tell you why i watch this cartoon and it's because of all the things i mentioned about avatar the last airbender it's funny it's entertaining it's well put together and it's an opportunity for my kids and i to actually sit down once a week and enjoy something, truly enjoy it together. And we sort of make, you know, an afternoon out of it when we do have the opportunity. Um, <laughs> these characters are flawed, which makes for great characters, uh, great, great stories. The situations are absurd at times, um, but ultimately relatable, and that's something that's important when it comes to any shows. You have to be able to see yourself in it. Now, this is a world that's really, you know, wrapped into this, um, I, I would like to think, Asian-styled existence, you know, the the philosophies of it. It, it feels very like Kung Fu and Karate. I mean, there, there's a lot of martial arts really just bleeding throughout everything in here, from philosophy to execution and fighting and stuff. If you can sort of get past that, if it's a hang-up for you, which it kind of is for me, um, and just focus on the story, then it's absolutely amazing. I don't like cartoons that preach, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you, you're literally just watching it to waste 20 minutes of your life, <laughs> and, you know, maybe spend some time, you know, interacting with your children at the same time, you know, discussing it while it's happening, asking them what they think about it, you know, what they think these characters are going to be doing. And and I always have this affinity for strong female uh, heroines, with flaws, you know, like I said before, and I just say with flaws because you, you know, there are stories out there. I don't know, like Disney shows where, you know, the women are just princesses or princesses in disguise or will become princesses, and there's no real work involved. Well, with this, um, Avatar Korra is actually like a flawed character. She's literally just a teenager, and she has to deal with the hormones of being a woman, of being a young teenage woman, uh, dealing with boys, dealing with pressure, um, expectation, and it's it's just done in a funny, entertaining way. So if you have the opportunity, uh, if you have kids, certainly. But if you've you know got you know, an hour. Maybe you should uh, check out Nickelodeon. I actually don't think it's an hour. I think it's like 25 minutes each episode or something. Check out Legend of Korra uh, on Saturdays. It's well worth it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Bizarre Bizarre here. 
<laughs> have to throw the drop in before I talk about it. Okay, so I'm sitting in my office. I just had... I don't even know why I did it. Whenever I make my own lunch for work, and so sometimes I'm sort of behind in the mornings, and all I could find to put together was, like, leftover barbecued steak and some bagels. And so I thought it would be a great idea to put together these two steak bagel sandwiches and... uh they were actually quite delicious. However, it weighed on me. So I'm sitting in my office at work, really feeling like I was just punched in the face and the stomach a few times from eating these two sandwiches. And I'm like laying back. I find myself, and this is something I don't normally do, but I'm like rubbing my belly. And I don't normally rub my stomach like some, I don't know. I, I, I kind of felt like a cartoon bear or something doing it. Like, mm, that's good food. <laughs> and my finger actually got caught in my belly button when I was rubbing my belly. Like, it, my, my finger bent down into my belly button. And I was, like, shocked and taken aback and, like, moved my hand away from my stomach. I'm, like, looking at, like, some alien or something took a hole out of my stomach. I've never had that happen before. And I imagine anyone who has an, any belly button has experienced... Um, has experience with their belly button and depth, and it shouldn't be different than what you're expecting, uh, which is why it was so weird, but it was like, I, because I ate so much, my belly button depth stayed the same, but my stomach grew around it, thus <laughs> increasing said depth. It was so weird. So I literally, like, added an inch or something to the depth of my, like, I could have, like, I, I could have, like, uh, you know, if I was a lesser man, I had sex with my belly button. Like, that's what it felt like. It was weird. So fucking creepy. Okay, so I, my my hand goes in. I immediately shout out, what the fuck? What is wrong with me? Hey, uh, everyone else. And in retrospect, in an office environment, if you discover something that would be maybe odd to you, don't tell your co-workers because it's never good. So I call these girls into the office and I'm like, look at my belly button. How deep is this? <laughs> totally out of context. They had no fucking idea what I was talking about. And even if they did, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But they just looked at me and I was like, I had my finger in my belly button, like poking through my shirts. <laughs> like some fucking crazy wacko fingering my belly button in my office. They turned around and walked away, didn't say anything. But I was like shouting at them, like, no, it's not normally like this. What's happening? We ended up having, like, an hour-long discussion about belly button depth and everyone else's belly button depth, normal depth, uh, why it's weird, and no one has ever also told me, like, none of them experienced the finger drop, like, trip into, like, the pothole that is your belly button, <laughs> while whilst rubbing their belly. Now, admittedly, none of them ever admitted to rubbing their belly, <laughs> but, like, they'd never experienced it, so if they never have, like, is this something, like, have any of you experienced this phenomenon? I would be interesting to know, interested to know. It, it's a weird thing, I just thought I should bring it up because, um... It freaked my shit out when it happened, like, genuinely. And it was kind of funny that 
you know, I just figured if your stomach grew, then everything grew with it. <laughs> like, your belly button didn't just stay where it was and everything grew around it. Maybe, you know, it's not it's not the same for everyone. But, uh, yeah, kind of weird. So my uh, my innie just became uh, a real innie. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but, like, hours later, it was back to normal. I didn't trip in it anymore. <laughs> it was normal. But it is one of those things where now I'm constantly, like, rubbing my belly or touching my belly or, or thinking about it after I eat, sort of giggling to myself. <laughs> and I'm sure it just gives me the, that crazy person uh, <laughs> badge at work. Like, everyone's just, wow, that's the belly button guy. <laughs> Okay, well, that's that's my story. <laughs> and that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Plus, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! <laughs>